Alrighty, we're going to be talking about self-defense as a justification or an excuse to a crime. Before getting into that, just a heads up, maintenance might be coming by in the middle of this recording, and if so, I will just excuse myself, pause the recording, come back, and open it up. But if there's a little bit of panic, don't mind me, that's just maintenance coming over. So self-defense, we have one case that we focus on for self-defense, but there's a lot that goes into it. Let's just say that self uh, that self-defense is typically going to be used as a justification defense. Just to review, a justification defense is something that is inherently good, even under when most circumstances it may be considered a bad thing, but in the, that circumstance itself may be considered a good, meaning society doesn't want you to die. And so defending yourself may be considered an inherent good, even though taking the life of somebody else in the defense of your own life might underneath. Uh, taking the life of somebody else might well, most often is considered an inherent bad. But in self-defense, that may be considered an inherent good. So justification has two elements that need to be met. First is that the action was done out of necessity. And second, the action is proportional to the act being taken against you. So in other words, what that means is don't go too far above and beyond what the justification can actually permit you to do. The harm that you do cannot be any more than the harm that is prevented, if that makes sense. So United States versus Peterson, what happened in this case is that an in-law came to uh, Peterson's backyard in D.C. He had... Um, he came into the backyard behind the alleyway. He stopped, and he was trying to take the windshield wipers of Peterson's car, and uh, the, uh, Peterson came out. Uh, he hollered, and they, they had a little shouting match back and forth. And then Peterson went back inside. He came out, grabbed a gun. Well, he grabbed a gun, came out, and started waving it and saying, don't leave, because at that point the person, uh, the in-law, was leaving he was in his car taking off he said if you leave i'll shoot and so uh the in-law gets out of his car and he's like what are you going to do with that thing you're not going to do anything and he walks back to the car grabs a a lug nut wrench and then is brandishing it walking towards uh peterson peterson says if you take one step closer i'll shoot and he takes a step closer and so peterson shoots uh and uh the in-law dies instantly. So, Peterson in this case is claiming self-defense. He's saying, well, he came at me with a lug nut wrench. And it's our job to determine whether or not he has that defense. In this case, he objected to two instructions that pretty much said, and well, the two instructions said, if he was the aggressor, he's not able to be, he's not able to use his self-defense justification. Or if he was 
the aggressor, then he wasn't able to um, use self-defense because he did not retreat. Meaning he was supposed to stand his... and Well, he was not supposed to stand his ground. He should have come back inside if he found it that he was able to. So, just to review justification again, self-defense requires necessity and proportional force, meaning if somebody is coming at you with a lug nut, you fear for your life, proportional force, that's deadly force, you can use deadly force. But if they're coming at you with their fists, you're not fearing for your life, well, pulling out a gun is not proportional because that's more. Let's talk about necessity just for a bit. How can you determine whether there is necessity? Well, there's three elements that need to be met. First is that there's an unlawful threat against you. Second is that there's a reasonable belief of peril because of that threat. And third is that your response is necessary to save yourself. That's how you meet the necessity element. However, someone can't actually use the self-defense argument, as the instruction said, if they are the aggressor. So how do we determine if somebody is the aggressor? Well, the court here gives several factors that one can consider to determine if they are the aggressor. First is if the person provokes the conflict. Second, if they precipitate the altercation. Third, one who is not free from fault. And fourth, the person who incites the fatal attack. Those are all instances when the person would be the aggressor. So let's take a look at this case with Peterson. Who was the aggressor? And why were the the aggressor? Spoiler alert, Peterson was determined to be the aggressor. Peterson's defense to this is quite interesting, uh, and it, it makes sense originally. Peterson says, well, I can't be the aggressor because the in-law came to my house. He was the person who was stealing my stuff. How can I be the aggressor if he is the one committing the crime? And the court agrees with this initially, meaning the in-law could have been the aggressor initially. However, what happened is that Peterson went inside and he came back out with a gun. This was not proportional by any means. Uh, meaning, the in-law was just trying to steal some windshield wipers. That is not life-threatening. Peterson came back out with a gun. That is life-threatening. The harm that was being caused was not proportional to the harm that was being received. And so in that moment, Peterson changed from being the one who was aggressed to being the aggressor. He was the one who was in meeting one of these factors. He was the one who was not free from fault. So, he was the aggressor. 
meaning his first argument does not work. His second argument is that he was on this property and he did not need a flea. This is called the castle rule. And the castle rule is just saying if you need to retreat, if at all possible, unless you're in your home. The home is the only exception. And some jurisdictions say that that can extend to the curtilage. Uh, and the curtilage is just the immediate surrounding property. Uh, it can mean the front porch, the bushes around. Uh, some places define it even up to uh, a boundary fence line on small properties. But anyways, the castle rule does not apply to somebody when they're the aggressor. So the court actually doesn't determine whether or not him standing on his front lawn is enough to uh, use the castle rule. Instead, they just say, well, he was the aggressor. The castle rule doesn't even apply to begin with. We talked about a couple other cases in class, a couple of other examples just to determine who was the aggressor. For example, one case was, I think her name was Donna, Diana, something like that. Uh, she was walking down a path every day. One day she was threatened by a bully, uh, saying, if you ever walk down here again, then I'll, I'll hurt you. And in fact, I'll kill you. And so she's like, well, I can walk wherever I want. So the next day she comes, and, but is prepared with a gun just in case. And the bully comes out and says, well, he doesn't say anything. He starts to approach her threateningly, and she shoots him. Well, who's the aggressor in this case? Is the bully the aggressor in this case? Or is she the aggressor in this case? Let's talk about briefly just an argument for each case, and then I'll end this. How could she possibly be the aggressor? Well, it's possible that she could have provoked the conflict. And the reason for that is because he had given her a warning, and she could have heeded that warning. And her not following that warning resulted in a provocation, meaning she wouldn't be able to use self-defense because she would have been the aggressor because she provoked the conflict. What about the neighborhood bully being the aggressor? Well, I mean, it's pretty clear that he is being aggressive. He's approaching her threateningly. And so, in other words, he's really inciting the fight, fatal attack because he's walking up. He's already told her that he would hurt her. And he's being threatening. So you could say that he is the aggressor. According to the MPC, I believe MPC 2.04 is, and maybe it's 2.03, I can't remember 100% on self-defense. Uh, self-defense, there is this argument that can be made for both of the parties again. Uh, it would lean more towards the neighborhood bully being the aggressor, but once again, there is an argument made that both parties could arguably be seen as the aggressor. And that's self-defense in a nutshell, an overview. And we won't have any more lectures this coming week uh, because Professor George is out of town and we will 
be catching up, so to speak, in the week following. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.